Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Like it sounds so simple. They had no idea. But now the data speak. I find this not only refreshing, but but at some level astounding. Nature. Welcome back to the Nature Podcast. This time, a gel to replace and regenerate muscles. And why starfishes have such strange body plans. I'm Sharmini Bundell. And I'm Nick Petrichow. What if you could replace a damaged muscle with a stand-in that can help you move whilst also helping the tissues repair? Well, that's something the researchers publishing this week in Nature are trying to make a reality with an injectable hydrogel solution. We developed a new type of the hydrogen for recovering the muscle and nerve tissues. That's Mikyung Shin, part of the team behind this new paper. We're going to hear more from her in a moment. But first, a little background. Muscles, like any other tissue, can get injured, and severe injuries can leave the muscle, and you, unable to move. And yet, muscles which are not used can waste away, and that can make healing very challenging. There are a range of options to deal with this, but all have their drawbacks. For example, mechanical exoskeletons can be used to help people move, but they don't actually help the muscle heal. Alternatively, there are a range of devices that electrically stimulate muscles to help them move or even seek to replace damaged tissue. But often these devices are stiff and cannot be applied to small, awkward-to-reach places. Ideally, the solution would be flexible, able to stimulate the muscles to help their recovery and promote tissue repair. And that's where hydrogels come in. These are soft materials that can be theoretically applied directly into the damaged tissue in tight crevices which are tricky for other materials, where they can help aid in healing. Here's Mick Young again. Hydrogels are very similar to our biological tissues. Our tissue have a, a lot of water in that, and hydrogel have also a lot of water in that. So they can mimic our biological tissue environment and can trigger the cellular behavior or cellular growth for their tissue repair. 
Effectively, Mikyung believes that hydrogels could almost act as a stand-in for muscles and help them repair. They also have the added benefit of being injectable, which means clinicians could avoid surgery which can damage the surrounding tissue. However, hydrogels still have drawbacks of their own, and so Mikyung and her team set about overcoming them. Firstly, hydrogels don't have great conductivity, which makes stimulating them to help muscles move more difficult. Their solution uses some clever chemistry. She was able to link the backbone of the hydrogel to other compounds that hold gold ions. In that case, the gold ion can generate the gold nanoparticles. That gold nanoparticle can provide the electrical conductivity very stably to our hydrogels. And that allowed the hydrogel she created to be conductive, allowing muscles to be stimulated and thus used, which helps promote healing and helps the patient to move. But that wasn't the end of the problems. Next one is strength. Hydrogels tend to be pretty, well, weak, and so don't last well in the body. In fact, in the moving and strained tissue that is muscle, they are at risk of leaking out. This is a particularly sticky problem, as making them too strong would make them inflexible and unable to be injected into the body. Mikyung and the team needed something flexible and strong, so they went back to the chemistry drawing board and looked to something called biphenyl bonds. We hypothesized that the biphenyl bonds can be different for simple carbon-carbon bonds. So we think the biphenyl rings can be rearranged during the syringe injections compared to the carbon-carbon bonds. Unlike a standard carbon-carbon bond, which is fixed, Mikyung thought that these biphenyl bonds would be able to break during injection of the hydrogel, but then reform afterwards, making the gel weak enough to be injected, but then strong again once it's in the body. A hypothesis that they demonstrated worked, first in simulations, then studies with cells, and finally in experiments with rats. We prepared the rat models with a very severe muscle injury, and then we fill our hydrogel into that area, the injured area. With the rats, the team wanted to check two things. First, how well the hydrogel would be able to conduct electrical signals to work as a stand-in while their muscles heal. And second, they wanted to see how well it can help the rat's muscles actually regenerate. For the stimulation part, three days after the hydrogel was injected, they placed the rats on a tiny treadmill, where a robot could sense the signals from the rats' own bodies as they tried to walk and help stimulate the hydrogel to move their legs. So finally, the animals can walk well, helped by the robotic arm. So not long after the injury, the rats were up and walking albeit not quite as good as new, though certainly much better than those without the hydrogel. But then the hydrogel also helped the rat's recovery. It was made from hyaluronic acid, a substance which naturally occurs in the body and is known to aid tissue recovery. And after four weeks, the muscle had regenerated. The fact that there was regeneration was important. This is Melitza Radisic, a biomedical engineer who's written an expert analysis of the new paper in Nature. And the fact that the gel could propagate electrical impulses to help the animal move the leg only three days after injury was really important because it shows that 
this approach, the hydrogel, together with electrical stimulation, restores the function. And for injured humans, that's the most important thing, restoring the function, ability to walk, ability to use their limbs after injury, shortly after injury, is tremendously important. And the sooner they can regain this walking function, improves the quality of life, but also perhaps it minimizes the detrimental effects of the injury because it breaks that cycle of use it or lose it. If they don't use their muscles, they will lose the ability to use them in the future. Melitza, though, did point out that there's still quite a bit of work to be done before we see this in humans. Can this be used in humans? I would say not right now. I would think that large animal studies would be needed to prove that in larger defects, the same approach works, right? One of the key differences between rats and humans is that rats are much smaller than humans. And something that's a very large defect in an injured leg of a rat is not that large for a human muscle. So we would have to show that this same approach works over large injuries. So there would be additional both safety and efficacy studies that are needed before this approach could be used in humans. But it really opens the door to such approach being implemented in the future. Another aspect that may prove tricky is getting approval for this to be tested in humans, as the hydrogel is quite complicated with many different components. Mikyung does also think that approval will be a challenge, but is optimistic that the team will get it because the material is very well accepted by the body. It's very biocompatible. We already demonstrate the biocompatibility of our materials in the cellular study and the animal study. So it can be much, hopefully much easier to have the approval to be implemented into the human body. For now though, Mikyung and the team are focusing on trying to make their system a bit more simple with fewer cables and leads, so they'll hopefully be better placed to help humans in the near future. We have a very complex system combined with the robots and some electrical wires, but if we can stimulate our materials without any lead, that can be much easier to stimulate tissues and that can cause much better recovery of the patients and their damaged tissue. That was Mikyung Shin from Sungokwon University in South Korea. You also heard from Melissa Radisic from the University of Toronto in Canada. For more on this story, check out the show notes for some links. Coming up, searching for symmetry in a five-armed starfish. Right now, though, it's time for the research highlights with Dan Fox. Researchers think they may have resolved the missing link between the first Homo sapiens in Europe and later arrivals. Homo sapiens first reached Europe 45,000 years ago, but studies have so far suggested that this first arrival may have been a false start. These early pioneers seem to have vanished without a genetic trace. Now, though, Ancient human genomes from the Crimean Peninsula could resolve this mystery. Researchers studied two skull fragments unearthed from a rock shelter in the Crimean Peninsula. 
They found that the fragments came from separate male individuals who lived 36 to 37,000 years ago. Both individuals' genomes are most similar to those of hunter-gatherers who lived in southwest Europe some 7,000 years later. But both individuals also carried DNA sequences linking them to Europe's earliest Homo sapiens, hinting that the first arrivals did in fact leave a genetic legacy by interbreeding with some of the people who followed them. You won't have to wait 45,000 years to find a link to that research. It's in Nature Ecology and Evolution. Insect-slaying proteins found in some ferns could provide a tool for engineering new pest-resistant crops. Around the world, farmers have planted more than 1 billion hectares of transgenic Bt crops, genetically modified to produce insecticidal proteins that are normally found in the bacterium Bacillus thuringiensis. But insects are increasingly becoming resistant to these proteins. Searching for alternatives, researchers observed that extracts from some ferns stunted insect growth. They found that the ferns produced a family of proteins similar to those made by Bacillus thuringiensis. Maize and soya beans bioengineered to produce these fern proteins were damaged less by insects than their unaltered counterparts. And these proteins remained effective, even when fed to pests normally resistant to the bacterial-produced proteins. Don't resist this story. You can find that paper in full in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America. Finally on the show, it's time for the briefing chat where we discuss a couple of articles that have been featured in the Nature Briefing. So Nick, what have you got for us this time? Well, this week I've been reading a story in Nature all about a way to sort of get rid of dengue by releasing Wolbachia-infused mosquitoes. Right, these are all a lot of very familiar terms, Wolbachia and dengue. And can you explain the sort of basic biology of, of this disease for us? So dengue fever is kind of a really nasty disease. You want to avoid getting it if you possibly can. And it's spread by Aedes aegypti mosquitoes. So these are mosquitoes that also spread things like Zika and other diseases as well. And so where the Wolbachia comes in is Wolbachia is a bacteria. And what researchers have found is that if mosquitoes have this Wolbachia bacteria in them, it sort of competes with the viruses in the mosquito and stops them being able to spread the diseases. So it stops things like dengue and Zika spreading. So a mosquito that's been infected with the Wolbachia bacteria is then much less likely to pass on the dengue virus to a human and thus infect the human. Exactly. So there's been a few different trials of doing this in practice in the real world. So on the briefing chat previously, we talked about a trial in Indonesia where mosquitoes were infected with Wolbachia and that massively reduced the spread of dengue. So this is a new experiment that's been done in Colombia by the World Mosquito Programme. And in three of the most populous cities in Colombia, they basically release a lot of mosquitoes that were infected with Wolbachia and they found that basically when the Wolbachia infected mosquitoes are well established so more than 60% of the mosquitoes have Wolbachia the dengue incident dropped by 94 to 97%. Oh that's huge. 
This is also one of those really counterintuitive ones where the scientists are like just re- releasing mosquitoes into the wild, but they the hope hopefully their mosquitoes outcompete the the local ones. Yeah, I mean the idea here is that they release just so many mosquitoes, it kind of like overwhelms the other mosquitoes, and they'll interbreed and stuff. And when they're interbreeding, they'll pass on the Wolbachia. And so over time, most of the mosquitoes will have the Wolbachia. So the one caveat I do have for this, though, is that the incidence of dengue does vary over time. So whilst the evidence from this does look good, there'll have to be more studies to you know, really showed that this is the case. But, you know, I mentioned that there was that study in Indonesia as well. There have been other studies, other pilot studies around the world to try and establish how well this works. And it looks pretty promising as a way to sort of fight dengue. And does this Wolbachia only prevent dengue virus being passed on or does it apply to some of the other diseases that you mentioned at the start as well? Yeah, so this bacteria just competes with other viruses the mosquitoes may carry so the other example is zika so this could help with zika and other viruses that mosquitoes may carry so the idea now is that this technology is going to be scaled up so this world mosquito program have announced sorry i laugh because it just sounds sort of funny but um the, they have announced plans to build a factory to produce mosquitoes <laughs> um in brazil and they want to release many more over the urban areas of brazil in the next 10 years but the next challenge will be how to sort of get this to the most difficult to reach communities because they need sort of community buy-in and that sort of thing to really get those mosquitoes out there. Yeah, I must say I'm, I might be a little sceptical having been uh, bitten by plenty of mosquitoes in my time <laughs> about anyone who wants to come and uh, release more of them into my local area. But obviously a really important goal there and, and some really promising results. So yeah, thanks Nick. I've got another sort of animal-related story for you going down into the deep sea and also back into the evolutionary past one of my favorite topics and this is a nature paper about starfishes which i've also made a film about that you nick petrichow have been helping me with so you actually have a sneak preview of what this story is but i shall explain for everyone yes indeed i actually know this paper quite well so this is about starfish and their body plans so starfish have five arms you know they look like a star so-called arms yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's it's not necessarily the equivalent of our arms but yeah yeah they have the sort of five arms so they're not really symmetrical which is quite unlike a lot of other species such as ourselves yeah and i've given a load of examples which was quite fun in the film of of all the sort of symmetrical species if you think about all the animals that you could sort of take a straight line down kind of where the spine is and sort of cut them in half and they're the same on either side so this is a standard body plan that we're familiar with because vertebrates have this it's called bilateral symmetry and there's this whole big group of creatures of animals called bilaterians so yeah vertebrates like us all the sort of mammals fish reptiles all of those but then also mollusks so like thinking about slugs and snails arthropods so all the insects crabs as well as some more sort of obscure creatures including this little group which starfish are a part of they're called echinoderms sorry there's loads of there's loads of terminology here but the echinoderms they're bilaterians starfish are echinoderms everything symmetrical in this group almost everything except echinoderms and echinoderms are kind of a bit of a weird outlier so 
why what's going on there was the question yeah and another weird part of this is that in part of their life cycle the larval stage they are actually symmetrical so these researchers are trying to figure out what sort of goes on and how they end up with this you know star shaped body plan and it's all about genetics basically and the questions are you know it's not why would it evolve this shape but it's how evolutionarily with the genes that you've got to work with do you kind of turn something that yeah starts off in this head tail two symmetrical sides plan into what sort of starfishes and their relatives look like and the way they did that was to sort of analyze the the genes or more specifically the gene expression so where different genes are expressed in the body of starfish and then you can compare because broadly the same kind of genes are conserved like it's the same ones across all these different creatures so you can kind of compare okay if this kind of group of genes is found in the head of all the rest of the bilaterians where is it found in the starfish and they were able to do this in sort of a detail that people hadn't really been able to do before and when they looked at these genes they found that essentially the starfish was mostly just head yeah so if you think about sort of head to tail in a line like think about that axis there are these different genes that are expressed in different places so the simplified version is let's say you've got a chunk of genes in the sort of top part of your brain the forebrain then you've got a different chunk of genes in the midbrain just behind that and then behind that you've got the sort of spine representing the rest of the body and you've got a third different set of genes that's the simple version and yet that third set the trunk the body was absent in the starfish which was not that you know they had all these theories before they started and different people have put forward different theories over the decades of of how this could work but none of them theorized that the body would be just entirely missing and so yeah they've sort of come up with this pattern where they've got the four brain genes in the middle of the starfish in this sort of starfishy shape sort of reaching out into each of the five legs and then around that they've got this little section of the midbrain genes the equivalent to ours and then yeah just no body but just this thin layer of there are there are certain genes that are usually expressed at that head body boundary um so they found this sort of like thin layer there and and nothing else so as you said a starfish is kind of all head (laughs) that's that's sort of what it is from a genetic expression point of view and that's pretty sort of unique and unusual in bilateria and you know when we were making this video like putting various starfish genes on top of starfish and things like that listeners go check it out it's worth (laughs) a watch i swear like the thing that was quite interesting to me was that this was kind of just a curiosity really like trying to just figure this out for the sake of figuring it out it's definitely like one of those puzzles that yeah developmental biologists like but but i i need to i need to understand what is going on here and it's been this puzzle for a whole while and now they finally fixed it but it's also relevant to the sort of broader understanding of this whole group which includes us as well and when you're sort of considering how this group evolved when you're considering how body plans evolved I think the echinoderms, so starfishes, sea urchins, sea cucumbers, weird, weird sea creatures, <laughs> they've, they've always con- been considered this sort of weird derived, like sort of side group, which isn't super relevant. So being able to bring them in and figure out exactly how they are relevant and how, are still part of this whole bigger group can be quite important. And also talking about sort of paleontology, kind of going back and looking at fossils 
of echinoderms and the sort of strange shapes you get in the fossil record understanding how genetically how they evolved maybe could help paleontologists figure out what they're looking at with all these starfish fossils well speaking of looking at listeners go look out for the video (laughs) we'll put a link to that in the show notes but i think that's all we've got time for this week on the briefing chat for more on those stories and for where you can sign up to the nature briefing to get more like them direct to your inbox look out for the links in the show notes so that's it for us for this episode but as always you can keep up with us on x we're at nature podcast or why not send us an email we're podcast at nature.com i'm Sharmini bundell and i'm nick petrichow see you next time Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.